Hello everyone and welcome to the Cold Chain Podcast. My name is Shane Brennan and I'm the Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. If you've downloaded this podcast, you've probably got an interest in the temperature controlled supply chain in the UK. You either work in it or you research it or you have a role in policy affecting how it's regulated. Well, we've got a treat for you today. This is a recording of a session that we ran this week in February 2021 um, with three professors, a a PhD holding engineer and the regional vice president for the UK of one of the largest cold storage and distribution businesses in the world. Over the course of about an hour and 15 minutes, they discussed what does it mean to be net zero in the cold chain? What does it mean today? What are the pathways towards achieving that by 2050? It was a fascinating conversation and that's why I'm recording it and sharing it with you in full because I think it really is worth your time to really get under the skin of what is this concept of net zero carbon? What does it mean for the cold chain? And crucially, how do we define it in a way that actually makes it meaningful for operators operating our warehouses, our distribution and servicing customers across the temperature controlled supply chain in the UK? Before I play you the programme, just a reminder that you can subscribe to the Cold Chain podcast on any of your favourite podcast apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts or the Google Store or any of the others. And if you really like it, why not leave us a review um, and a rating on your, on that podcast platform? And with that, let me bring you the programme. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our first Cold Chain conversation. For those of you that I haven't met, um, I'd better introduce myself. I'm Shane Brennan, and I'm proud to be Chief Executive of the UK Cold Chain Federation. We are the representative trade association for businesses that store and move temperature controlled goods into, out of and around the United Kingdom. Our membership encompasses more than 150 companies running over 500 facilities that together account for more than a million square feet of chilled and frozen warehouse space. And our members also operate in excess of 30,000 temperature controlled vehicles. Um, we approach today's top, the topic of today's session um, from that operational perspective. Tom Salfo, who's our Cold Chain Federation Policy Director, will speak to you in a moment about our Road to Net Zero project. And today's conversation is one of the first events on that road. Um, and our topic is specifically about setting a baseline for that mission. You know, how do we define net zero is our, is, is our job today. Um, so what can and what perhaps more accurately, what should net zero mean for the UK Cold Chain? I'm incredibly grateful to our panel, who I'll shortly introduce, for joining us today and for their willingness to help us in our project. They, each of them, bring unique expertise to this topic, and my aim is to steer the conversation in a way that extracts just some of those insights um, to help us all better understand well, how the cold chain can and must transition from how we do things today to the net zero uh, cold chain world. Before I introduce the panel, a word on the format for today's session. We're running today's event a bit like BBC Question Time, for those of you in the UK that know what that means. Um, although hopefully without any of the rudeness and point scoring that we'd normally see with that. I'll be playing the sort of David Dimbleby role, posing questions to the panel and letting discussion run on from there. We won't be taking verbal interventions from the audience during the session, but please share your thoughts and questions in the chat box. Um, and I will monitor that throughout the session and bring that in at the appropriate uh, points. If we don't address your points during the session, We'll follow up afterwards in a written report um, of the session. So let me introduce our panel. Firstly, Professor Judith Evans from London South Bank University. Judith has over 25 years experience in researching and improving refrigeration across the food chain. She's a fellow of the Institute of Refrigeration and most recently led a successful bid for a UK Energy Research Centre grant that aims to substantially improve our understanding of sustainable cold chain systems 
for delivering food resilience. Welcome, Judith. Let me, next, let me introduce Professor Alan McKinnon from Kuhn University. Those of you that took part in Cold Chain Live, our event in October, will have heard Alan's paper on decarbonising logistics. Maybe you've also uh, read his book on the subject, which is definitely one of the highlights of the whole event that we ran last year. Alan brings over four decades of experience in researching and, revising, um, and, researching and writing about logistics uh, to our session. Welcome to you, Alan. Next, Professor Toby Peters, who many of you will know, I'm sure. Toby is Professor of Cold Economy at the University of Birmingham. Toby is both an inventor, having developed liquid air, liquid air energy storage um, in the past, and is a leading researcher into system level approaches to delivering clean cooling across the world. His work is really helping to certainly help me in the last two years to shape my understanding of the environmental, social, and economic impacts of cold chain, both here in the UK and across the world. Next, Dr. Tim Fox, an engineer by background and consultant on cold chain to companies, governments, and academic institutions. Tim is with us today, particularly in his capacity as the chair of the Process Industries Division of the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. He's over a number of years led their thought leading work on developing engineering solutions that we need to deliver a sustainable cold chain. And, and also, and finally, another Tim, Tim Moran, the regional vice president, leading the UK division of one of the world's largest cold storage and distribution businesses, Lineage Logistics. Lineage operates 14 warehouses in the UK, which by the end of this year will have the capacity to store more than 500,000 pallets of frozen food. Across the world, Lineage, which grows every single week um, with new announcements of acquisitions and, 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 and completions of projects, operates at more than 340 facilities representing more than 30 million cubic metres of warehouse space across the world. Tim is also the president of the UK Cold Chain Federation. So welcome to him, um, the boss. So that's our panel, um, and that's more than enough from me. So what I will do now is hand over to my colleague, Tom Southall, to start the discussion with a short overview of the Cold Chain Federation's Net Zero project. Tim, Tom. Jane, um, morning everyone. Uh, morning to the panel and everyone um, kind of listening in today. Um, I think today's a, a really important session um, for us as we kind of frame our, our net zero project um, and hopefully it's going to be a really interesting discussion for, for the panelists but also for, for everyone listening in today. I'm just going to spend a couple of moments talking about kind of why we're here and, and set the scene for, um, for today's discussion. Shane mentioned our um, net zero project um, and Cold Chain Live back in October. Uh, and those that took part in that will know that that is when we launched a kind of net zero project, a kind of pledge to uh, to our members and to the industry to to look at exactly what what net zero might mean for the cold chain and and for um, for the businesses we represent. Um, within that document, we set out kind of four key areas where we're going to we wanted to progress the conversation and, and move forward in our kind of work and our understanding of that area. Um, and those included. Uh, cold storage um, and, and how we move towards a sort of lower carbon cold storage, temperature controlled distribution, um, and also the, the sort of supply chain ecosystem, so the bits and pieces that sort of knit together um, those facilities. But before we get to those kind of three kind of core issues, um, the first point covered in that report was how we define a net zero cold chain. Um, and that's obviously why we've come together today um, to start that kind of process of, of looking at really what we mean when we talk about a net zero cold chain. But why is this important to, to kind of cold chain businesses? Why have we decided, I guess, that, that this is one of our key sort of policy issues as, as we move forward into 2021 and beyond? Well, um, we know from, from talking to members and, and obviously from, from everything that's going on um, around kind of green recoveries and, and pledges to cut 
UK emissions to, to net zero um, by 2050, that this is a, a huge issue for kind of UK industry and one that's, that's only going to gather momentum as we go forward towards that date. Um, businesses in the cold chain can, can expect to see sort of big changes, I think, in the next couple of decades that perhaps they haven't seen in the decades before. And that's going to be driven by pressure from um, customers who are expecting increasingly kind of a, a lower carbon greener companies kind of providing their, their products. Um, from customers as well. So in our case, perhaps that could be retailers or wholesalers or, or other businesses who are, who are looking increasingly at their supply chains and expecting them to, to conform to, to certain kind of green credentials. And also from investors, we've seen a lot of investment into the cold chain recently, and that's only set to continue. Um, and we're seeing a trend towards kind of green investment and investors looking for, for that kind of return for their investment from a, from a green perspective, but also from, from a government um, approach. Um, we know there's going to be more regulation, more policy coming out in the short term, um, but also medium term, long term on um, sort of carbon emissions, carbon targets. Um, and for all those reasons, um, it's, a, it's of critical importance for, for businesses to understand exactly what their obligations are within kind of net zero and within that road. And that's, that's what our project seeks to kind of um, to help them with um, and also to show leadership to to government that you know as a sector we are approaching this and we are, we are kind of meeting the challenge head on so those are the four areas today obviously we're talking about defining net zero and that that's of clear importance because we can't talk about how we kind of decarbonize um warehousing or, or distribution without kind of setting out this a stall if you like for how we um we sort of baseline our emissions and how we measure progress and that's kind of what the panel are going to be looking at today. And there's a number of ways we could do that. And there isn't one kind of, we're not going to come to a clear answer today, but what we're hoping is that we really, the conversation today steers the Cold Chain Federation approach and that we can with more confidence go forward and define what we mean when we talk to our members and we talk to government about a net zero cold chain. And that might be a more narrow approach where we look at just kind of UK operations and, and sort of warehousing and storage within um, and distribution within the UK, um, or it might mean a, we have to bring in some of those wider uh, perspectives, perhaps from looking at global supply chains, where our food comes from kind of overseas and also where we might export, but also looking at kind of linked emissions. Can we just afford to look at the cold chain in, in a silo? For example, a, a temperature controlled vehicle, can we just look at the refrigerated trailer and, and focus on that? Or must we take into account the vehicle that's towing it, which perhaps isn't pure cold chain, but clearly it's related. And there's a, a whole load of related kind of emissions agriculture, haulage, shipping um, that we might have to take into account. And, and this diagram you will find within um, within our Net Zero project um, scene setting reports, which you're, you can obviously look back on after today. But that really sets the scene. Um, and as we move on to the kind of panel discussion, we'll be looking at that. How do we set that baseline? How do we define that Net Zero cold chain? What are the metrics that we must use as a sector association, but also our businesses to monitor progress? Um, how do we take into account some of the benefits um, that, that cold chain brings in, in terms of food waste and, and other things. Um, and, uh, and yeah, how do we, how do we link into to kind of the wider emissions and the wider conversation going on around a net zero economy in the UK? So that's pretty much all I wanted to cover, Shane. Um, I think over to you and the panel now to, to begin today's discussion. Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. That sets the cost scene very, very well. Um, so can I ask our panelists to reveal themselves <laughs> uh, by turning on their webcams? Thank you very much. Um, no. Great, thank you all for being with us. Um, right, so um, we so Tom set the scene, and I've done my introductions. Hopefully, you all 
feel like I suitably uh, defined you in our in the introduction, but please correct anything as you uh, come in from here. Um, so I think the good way to sort of get into this and to start from is right before we get into some of the sort of the sort of more detailed questions about definitions. Can I ask you, um, starting with you, Judith, to give us a sense of what you what does the idea of a net zero cold chain mean to you? Hi Shane. Uh, hi everybody. Uh, thanks for inviting me along today. Uh, it's it's a really complicated and difficult question you're asking. Uh, I mean, uh, ideally you're talking about the whole cold chain and you're maybe talking about things even outside of the cold chain and the links that there may be. I mean, obviously Tom highlighted um, you've got a refrigerated vehicle, but uh, you've also got a big, uh, uh, you know, diesel engine driving it. Um, you know, for me, ideally, you'd be looking at, you know, the whole the whole world, really, and trying to decarbonize it. But it's incredibly complicated. And ultimately, maybe you can only deal with what you can control. So, you know, maybe you have to really concentrate on the areas where you have influence, um, because otherwise it becomes such a huge problem that you really can't deal with it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. That complexity is absolutely comes through in, in everything that we uh, we talked about. Um, Tim, Tim Fox, can I ask you to give a sense? Obviously, you've worked at this issue, obviously you've got a lot within the IMACE environment for a number of years. Do you have a sort of vision for what you think net zero means for the cold chain? Yeah, so um, thanks, Shane. Thanks very much. And uh, welcome to the audience. Um, yeah, for me, obviously, there's there's the issue of net zero uh, pieces of, of kit and equipment and uh, and in infrastructure within within the cold chain, that seamless integrated temperature controlled environment from from field or fishery to uh, to consumption. Um, you know, and I'm sure we'll explain uh, we'll explain and explore that a bit more um, this morning. But for me, it goes beyond it goes beyond that. It, it it's actually about also some sort of human elements as well around um, the systems being designed by um, systems thinking engineers that have sustainability at their core, and they and they really approach um, things with a highly innovative um, viewpoint that is looking to integrate sources of um, of, of uh, energy that that traditionally aren't explored such as waste energy and from from heat but also thinking about the system as part of a bigger system so fully optimized with the with the whole energy system so th there's a lot of work to be done there around um around sort of education and, and skills development in engineers but but in addition to that i think it's it also encompasses um all, all the uh, actors and players that are involved in the cold chain um including you know the the uh, logistics uh, managers that are optimizing with sustainability at their core maintenance and service being done by technicians and engineers that have sustainability at their core so for me it's it's much more than just the sort of the central question about net zero net zero kit and equipment it's a it and it's a different way of thinking yeah about well, that is a neat segue into you toby um, obviously, who's pre-written most of all of all of everyone about systems in cold chain and how that fits together. Do you have a sense of, of say, in 2050, what does what does what does the op optimum best look like ambition for us to set for ourselves around the net zero cold chain? Um, yeah, can I just perhaps? I, th I think it's also helpful just to rewind and why we're doing this as well. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we've been warned that at the moment we're looking at the world being increasing temperature by about three degrees by 2100. And along with making vast tracts of the world uninhabitable without continuous artificial temperature management, this is going to have big impacts on climate systems. So we're going to see the permafrost uh, thaw out, which will release methane, which will create further problems. So we've set this target to actually save the planet and save our society and save our future. And we need to get to limit warming to 1.5 to do that we need to achieve this target of net zero. Net zero, I think, has got often, it, it, it's, it's very much focused on electric vehicles and renewable electricity. But the key point here is obviously that much of our energy demand is for cooling and heating, so it's thermal loads. And last year, uh, the climate action pathway to net zero cooling was set, and the aim is to save 260 gigatons of CO2 equivalent by 2050. So that's the target that we're playing into within this, this sector. 260 gigatons, which is about eight years of global emissions. Um, they define net zero cooling as reducing greenhouse gas emissions from cooling during the operational life of products, excluding the resource extraction and the manufacturing to as close to zero as possible and any remaining GHG emissions, direct and indirect, balanced with an equivalent amount of carbon removal, so by planting forests and through direct carbon capture and storage. So that's sort of where the United Nations, the, 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 the roadmap to zero has, has defined it. It's this re reduce the emissions from the operational life of products. For me, I, I, I to say what does the world look like in 2050, I think there are many things which will happen before then, which will shape that. But I do think the, the point is, is that there are three things. It's around how do we reduce the demand for cooling? So avoid cooling demand by building design, by all the options we can do, behavioral change to mitigate the need by efficient chains. How can we shift how we do cooling? So that's not just shift to, um, natural refrigerants but also shift to harnessing waste energy waste heat waste cold to provide it and of course how can we improve and have ultra efficient systems so for me um that what will cooling look like in 2050 or what will the cold chain look like it will look where we are as close to possible as zero and we've achieved that not simply by focusing on energy efficiency energy efficient technologies but avoiding capturing all the opportunities for waste heat, waste cold aggregation, as well as deployed best-in-class solutions. That's really helpful, Toby. Thank you. Um, Alan, can you sort of build on that? I know that you've looked at this in the, in the wider sense of the whole of logistics and not specifically about cold chain, but how do you sort of envision the kind of idea of decarbonisation by 2050 within logistics as a whole? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, just one slight correction. My university is the Kuna Logistics University. You've missed Sorry. the word logistics. Otherwise, Sorry. you're forgiven for that. Okay, um, yeah, again, picking up on what Toby was saying, I mean, there are some general issues I think we have to consider. One of the key ones here is, is the boundary issue, I mean, where we, we draw the boundary around the, the cold chain in terms of the range of activities, um, but, but also geographically as well, as you pointed out. Um, and, and if we get back to the fundamentals of net zero, um, 
you know, clearly there are some sectors which will overshoot uh, the, the zero carbon target. I mean, these are the hard to abate sectors, and, and I think logistics is regarded as, as a hard to abate sector, um, and therefore we're not going to get all our activities down to zero. Um, and and uh, I mean, if you look at the European Commission's targets for transport, uh, it's not a 100% reduction in emissions by 2050, it's a 90% reduction. So they concede there will still be CO2 and other greenhouse gases emitted by transport by 2050. And they will have to be compensated then by drawing down you know, greenhouse gases already in the atmosphere. So, um, so the first thing, obviously, in this sector, you've got to get your emissions as low as possible. We concede that there will have to be um, some compensation. The issue is to what extent can that compensation be achieved internally within this sector? I mean, what some people now call insetting, you know, where there are activities within the sector which will actually be carbon negative and will actually compensate. I mean, as an example, I mean, covering uh, a warehouse roof with solar panels, for example. I mean, there's a great example in the Netherlands of uh, a new warehouse called the Tube in Tilburg, um, where the solar panels don't just generate enough electricity to power the activities in the warehouse, but also to power houses in the surrounding area. You know, so there's an example of carbon. But even going beyond that, you may have to get the carbon offsetting, you know, where you're not going to do this carbon compensation within the sector, but you have to rely on others to do it um, on, on your behalf. And, and the, the hope is that that carbon offsetting will be minimized, clearly, because if every sector sees carbon offsetting as a way to get to net zero, then we have a problem at a planetary level, and, and so that will um, not, not actually work. Um, and just backtracking a bit to a point that um, Tom made in his introduction about whether the cold chain should only relate to refrigeration activities, I think that's too narrow a definition. Um, you know, I, I think if one looks at trucking operations, you also have to look at all the emissions from the motive power as well as the refrigeration. And um, you know, some of the calculations I've done recently suggest that the motive power can be 85% of the total energy and emissions in the trucking operation and the refrigeration only about 14%. So I'd be arguing for a more holistic uh, view on, on all of this. Brilliant. Thank you, Alan. That's 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 great. So, Tim, over to you as the, uh, the the operator in the room, the one that's actually doing uh, cold chain um, of, of all of us. Um, do you have a sense within you with personally or within lineage of what net zero might look like for your business? Um, and the answer is probably not at this moment in time. Um, I think, you know, what, what you listen to is that the the, the issue is extremely complicated. Um, probably from an operator's mind, you see it in very, very simple ways that we consume lots of carbon, whether it be through electricity, whether it be through diesel, you know, to, to keep product cool and to transport products around the place. And, and because of that, anybody who talks about, you know, um, 2050 and, and, and net zero and what that means looks very scary from an operator's point of view, because nobody can come along and particularly tell us what that looks like. So there's a there's a statement in out there, but but nobody really gives you a roadmap to say this is what you need to be doing and from a business point of view you're probably looking at it from a few different strands you're looking at it from you know from a from a pure commercial aspect of commercially what does what does that mean to me how do i trade in the future how does my 
business there sustainable uh, there's an ethical standpoint that says you know what should i be doing now um to to, to make things better and, and and how will that work um and then you know sort of the question that that i was thinking about is that actually from our customers standpoint and from our suppliers standpoint how does how does a customer want us to act in a in a net zero sustainable way which you know drives generally our business process our customers saying this is what we want from you and also our suppliers who are supplying us trucks trailers trus electricity refrigeration units within the cold stores you know how are they how are they facing the challenge and what are they doing within their business because uh, i think you know what was said before is the total supply chain you know not just the supply chain of how we move food but the supply chain of how food is stored kept safe and and and, and got to the consumer that, that that this encompasses so so when you really start to drill in it from an operator's point of view you think wow this is just you know I'm, I'm a simple person i move products across cold stores you know i move pallets of products and deliver them to places when people ask to do and now we're now we're being asked to take on incredibly complex challenges and come up with a solution that you know can be the the rise and fall of your business and of course the other thing is is that today lots of cold storage operators including lineage logistics are making investments that are going to be there in the next 30 years we're laying millions and millions of pounds down that still have a life in 30 years time and are we doing the right thing today with our pounds and dollars to to to, to be there in 30 years time or actually we're we building white elephants that you know are, 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 are not going to be fit for purpose in the future so huge topic delighted to be here today to be part of it because you know uncomplicating this in my mind would be would be would be super important and i, and I have a feeling that, that it's something that's going to run for some time yeah i think yeah we're definitely going to solve it in the next hour that's that's for sure just just quickly tim before we move on i want to make sure you you know i think this point about seeing it in the context of 2050 is daunting but obviously as a business there are things that you are doing now like you say you're building a lot of space but there are th there are innovations that you are investing in, in your business today that are part of or at least contributory to the idea of achieving uh well achieving efficiency if not net zero absolutely so a couple of words on that go hand, hand in hand i mean from from a business point of view the vast majority of things that are going to save carbon are going to save us money and are probably good investments anyway so you know the the, the solar panels that we've got on 40 uh, on, on 12 of our 14 sites you know we're, we're looking at increasing the, the number of solar panels that we do as an example we've just done a two million or we're in the project a, a process of a two million project on changing the refrigeration over a Bell Hill depot from you know 30 year old plant to the most modern plant available now you know it's a capital expense but it's going to save energy because we're going to consume less electricity um from a TRU point of view you know we're looking at we've got solar panels on top of one of our trailers at the moment that we're, we're trialing to, to to see whether that's going to you know what effect that has we're looking at you know regenerative energy from braking and axles to, to power so we're looking at all sorts of things that that have a have a carbon um um saving and, and you know are, are, the, are the right things to do from a sustainability point of view but but they are very swayed to a commercial angle because from a business point of view it's difficult to justify making an investment into something that's going to cost you money in the long term for, from for, to 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 remove carbon if there's no benefit to doing that thank you tim i think that's a really really useful at this point um 
I'm going to move on to ask specifically about this, this issue of scope of cold chain and what is the cold chain before we get into defining the metrics for it. Um, but one of the things I capture from you, which I'll come back to after that, is the issue of who's going to set the definition. Is it going to be the logistics operators? Is it going to be their customers? Is it going to be government? And I think we'll we'll come to that as a, as a question after next, if that makes sense. But the, fir but the first one is this, this issue of, and Tom introduced it, we've talked, touched on it a little bit already, but let's sort of focus in on it. When we talk about the cold chain, how do we set the sort of scope and parameters of that? And, or, or how can we? What are the different models we could use for defining the scope of cold chain in a way that's going to achieve measurable, uh, measurable ways of, of arriving at information, at, at data that we can then act on? Um, perhaps, um, Judith, can I ask you to, to give us a sense on that? I know something you've looked at and researched in the past. Again, uh, you're, you're not asking us easy questions, yeah, but um, I mean, you touched on this, I guess, in the introduction about and your question about whether you a lamb from New Zealand you should be including everything uh, from the point um, that it, it's born um, through the points it's slaughtered, transported, stored in this country and goes to the consumer. Uh, and then you start uh, also including uh, you know things like food waste as well. Um, you you start including the manufacture and end of life of of equipment as well. Um, so these definitions can get incredibly uh, complicated. Um, and if you start including every every part, it probably becomes rather unmanageable. So I think you've got to start trying to define. Uh, the cold chain and as I said before I think really you can only deal with what you can manage yourself um, it's 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 not possible for you to really manage at the moment how New Zealanders farm their lamb for example um, it would be nice if you did have that sort of links and influence and so the whole of the cold chain was considered holistically and everybody was involved and uh, you know as others have said you were sharing uh, energy um, between not only within the cold chain but outside of it as well and usefully using all sources of energy uh, you know waste heat waste cooling but uh, you know these are things that we should be looking at I, I definitely think but you know if you want to look for something you are doing today I think you can only look uh, first at what you can control yourself, but then you need to very fast start looking at how you could interact possibly with other sectors. Um, the question that occurs to me on the back of that, Judith, is, and then maybe I'll bring in Toby on that, is, is are we as the cold chain operators, and by, by that I mean, I mean logistics people, so warehouse, people who are running warehouses, people wearing trucks, either as an individual business or as a contributor to a, a wider business. Are we a part of somebody else's net zero plan? Or are we on that zero plan in our own right? And I think, Toby, you obviously come at it very strongly from the point of view of the cold chain as an entity and a, and a, a, a force in its own right. And I think that's probably how you sort of come at things. Is that would, would I be right to characterise it in that way? How, how do you see it? At the end of the day, you know, the climate challenge is a global problem. So we can't, you know, the, this, we, we can't sort of abdicate ourselves from the, the global system and the global solution. I totally agree with what... Uh, Judith is saying is that operators, you know, can only do those areas where they can get their hands around and shouldn't be expected necessarily to be responsible for uh, the, the, the how lamb is produced or shipped to the port. However, 
in solving the challenge of cold chain and in solving the challenge of climate, we have to recognize that it is an integrated system. And so if you want to build in the efficiencies, if you want to reduce food loss, it's how does the whole system work together? Um, and, and we're seeing that, um, uh, you know, if, if you look at, say, COVID-19 and vaccination, people have realized this system has to work right the way from the point of manufacture to the point of injection, otherwise you lose vaccines. Um, so it, it, I, I think you've got to look at it vertically and horizontally. As, as, as an operator, yes, you, you focus on what you can do to improve your, your, those areas you work in. However, you have to remember, for example, if you operate a warehouse, sooner or later, you're going to have electric vehicles turning up there, which will need to be charged, and you need to make sure that you can have the infrastructure to charge them. So suddenly you start becoming part of the system. Um, but equally at the same time, and that's why I think the work that we're doing is actually try to understand this from a system and see how we can work collaboratively to find the answers for how can the whole system be efficient um, right the way from the food producer to the consumer because also it's the flow of data across the whole system which will drive a lot of efficiencies so data needs to be at the system level to to support it but it is as you said it, it, it it's a big challenge i think at the moment a lot of our traditional approaches are sort of quite reductionist. So testing individual pieces of equipment, we're not looking at thermal networks, we're not looking at how we can harness, not necessarily in the UK, but the waste heat, the waste cold of LNG to drive cold chain. So the big wins will come from system level thinking, but that isn't something which the operators can be expected to drive. But what we need to do is, is stimulate the, the the discussion at that aggregation of everybody rather than just individuals. Can, yeah, Tim Foss, I'm going to bring you in. Can I ask you sort of to reflect on, Alan McKinnon mentioned this in, in his comment just, just now, which is the idea that actually for the for, for logistics, the objective by 2050 might not be to achieve a zero carbon emission model. It might be that actually it's as part of an overarching system, they actually might still be producing an amount of carbon because that's <coughs> necessity based on the technology available even by 2050 but that they will be contributing to the overall uh, achievement of net zero on a, on a system-wide basis from an engineering perspective do you does that something you buy into as a concept that there will be net there will still be people that do emit and people that actually potentially take the carbon out in the system and we have to sort of set our objectives in that context or is that trying to be too much of a cop-out so is that aimed at me, Shane? Yeah, it was, Tim. Yeah, sorry, Tim. Sorry, said engineering, but you're still looking at Toby. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah okay. So um, a couple of things there. One, um, you know, from a pure engineering perspective, um, completely don't buy into the idea that there's any offsetting involved. Um, you know, I think I, I think it, one has to strive uh, as innovatively and as passionately as you can to get uh get to net zero in your system without without any having any offsetting um but you know we do have to work in the real world so there will be trade-offs in that but i think i think to start with offsetting on the on the table is is is, is a mis is a misguided point of start 
Um, I just wanted to pick up, if I may, Shane, on a couple of things yeah. that both Judith and Toby have, have said. So um, I agree with Judith that, you know, ultimately it's, it's an incredibly complex challenge. And, and uh, as Alan has said and Toby has said, you, you know, you have to be cognizant of the system boundaries and you have to define a system that you can deal with. Um, and as everybody said, you know, that you, an operator can only can only deal with what they're directly responsible for. But there are a couple of other dimensions in there in the operators, not a, you know, have have an opportunity to influence others in their activities. So although they can't be responsible for what goes on in New Zealand in 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 farming of lamb, um, they can have a voice and a statement about what their position is on that and to and to you know, bring pressure to bear on 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 not only their suppliers but their customers um you know to 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 start thinking in a in a net zero way and uh, from a more sustainable perspective so there, there's influence there they have direct influence of course over their own individual supply chain that's that's um, providing their kit uh providing their energy um so that you know supplying them with consultancy services or whatever so there are there are real influence points there um but i think also beyond that uh, I think every, uh, operators um, and, 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 and the much broader cold chain community now have to be much more open to, uh, po possibly to collaboration and to get that tension right between uh, you know, collaborative partnerships and collaborative speaking and, 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 uh, and collaborative action um, as opposed to it, uh, the tension that that creates with their commercial operations that has to be, that has to be resolved in some way, there has to be some, there has to be some understanding that this is only really going to be achieved through data sharing and through uh, through collaboration and partnership uh, if we're going to get to where we want to go and then my final point is really that we you know for a lot of this um we haven't got the time you know from an engineering perspective we have we just have not got the time to get to um you know to 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 discuss debate uh, develop uh, the perfect solutions as as tim was saying you know he's building things today that will be here in 2030 uh, and 2040 and 2050 and through to 2070 po quite possibly so you know we need we need action today on the ground to do the best we possibly can with what we've got whilst in parallel we're we're developing all the protocols the methodologies the approaches that we need um that that were uh, uh, and what we need to do while we're uh, while we're taking that action on the ground is do our best to try to build in flexibility and to avoid lock-in of inflexible um, solutions and to um, to ensure that you know we we do the best we can to avoid um, unintended consequences which is a difficult task I admit but it, it requires it requires some thinking around you know if we take this action what possibly could be the the unintended consequences across the system Thank you, Tim. So, Tim Moran, I'm putting you on notice that I'm going to ask you to talk about data and visibility and stuff that Lineage is doing in that area, both in the UK but across the world. Um, Alan, can I ask you for some help um, for us on where are the places we should be looking for good measuring systems for measuring uh, carbon impacts that might apply in the supply chain? Yeah, I can certainly provide some advice on that. Um, the situation today is a lot better than it was when I first got involved in this about 2007, 2008, when there were many different methodologies, different reporting standards, um, and a company approaching this from scratch sort of 
problem in deciding which one would be the most appropriate. Um, thankfully, since then, there has been convergence. Um, so um, I, if you're not aware of it, there's an organization called the Global Logistics Emissions Council. Um, been working since 2014 to harmonize methodologies and reporting standards for logistical activity across all transport modes. Um, in 2019, they published their revised methodology. They've now got a lot of traction. I think that about 100 big multinationals now use GLEC. You increasingly see companies reporting figures that are GLEC compliant. Uh, again, all their stuff's available online. Um, so it's international, um, and, and I think that's one I would recommend. And also working with the ISO so that their systems will become ISO um, accredited uh, as well. That, that's for the basic measurement. Um, in, in terms of getting the business onto the right carbon reducing trajectory that will get to net zero by 2050, um, I would also mention the uh, science-based targeting initiative. Um, I think there are now over a thousand companies uh, worldwide um, which are working with science-based targeting. Um, moving away from um, carbon intensity targets, because I think until recently an awful lot of corporate targets were carbon intensity ones relating emissions to some level of activity, but that's not what the planet needs, it's not what governments require, we've got to get the absolute emissions down. And, and so science-based targeting. Does, at the moment, they've, uh, they're working with nine sectors. Um, there's a transport sector uh, in, in which a few logistics companies are involved, like DHL and DB Schenker. Um, I, I, I don't think many of the companies in that thousand are in the cold chain at the moment. So I think there's maybe work to be done there. But I, I think there's a more general point here, um, Shane, because you said, you know, is it this sector that will have to devise its procedures and its standards and so forth. I don't think it should. I think what it does should be aligned with these international initiatives as well, um, so that there's consistency between what's happening in this sector and what's happening more generally, for example, in the in the logistics sector. Thank you. And that science-based, I think, I think that some of the retail companies globally probably are driving towards the more science-based marketing, and that probably is the entry point into that for some logistics companies that are servicing them um, going forward. So it feels to me like that might be one of the the sort of the, the near the near future sort of biting points for some of them, some of the cold train operators in seeing these kinds mm -hmm. of metrics. Tim, as I said, can can I ask you to say a bit about how Lineage is seeing the opportunities of data and data visibility within your operations to help you to potentially establish baselines for this kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so so you know so Lineage number one in the world for, for temperature controlled operations, clearly a huge consumer of, of electricity and, a, and, a, and, and, and carbon. Um, and of course, when we're looking at our sustainable operations, we're looking about how, how you know, this, this business moves forwards into the future and, and, and hits head on the challenges of the future. So one of the things that, that Lineage did is that they set up a data science uh, team in, in San Francisco. Uh, and basically their job is just to harvest data from everything we do uh, across the cold chain because that's what our, you know the vast majority of our operations are you know over 99% of everything we do is involved in the cold chain so so from a data science point of view and from a warehouse point of view you know they're, they're fitting a thousand probes to a warehouse they're looking for hot spots across warehouses they're looking that the, the, the clamping every uh, area
area that they can within 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 the site. So you know every com a compressor, everything that's taking energy, the the, the clamp in that compressor, and and the, using IoT to to send data back um, from everything that's happening in the in the warehouse, and we're, we're we're bringing that data in now. Lineage has grown over the last twelve years, and it, and he's a family of many many businesses as well as new builds and expansions so you can imagine across the estate of sort of over 300 warehouses the difference in in in, in warehouse design the difference in in uh, refrigeration design the the difference in throughputs and, and and all you know even you know the difference in having one in texas and having one in you know in the north of canada you know they're just the temperature variances that you you get there and and we're harvesting all that data uh, and we've got you know, a team of data scientists that are, are also out lecturing across across the world on things like this themselves, who are you know taking that data and trying to work out what is the right thing to do in the future, but also how we can how we can move uh, the dial within the existing operations. So, so for us, everything sits around data. Everything's plugged in. In the UK, what we're specifically doing is we're, we're working with our refrigeration uh, engineers, and we've got their systems on board uh, so we've been upgrading a lot of our plant into in into the into the newest systems and we're using their systems to harvest that data and giving them the option to to look at that as well and be able to enhance the operations and uh, you know all this sits around for us an operator is money saving of course but 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 really has a carbon um sort of uh, benefit to it as well um, from a from a transportation point of view, you know we do the same again. All our trucks and 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 trailers and are all uh, wired up. We're seeing data coming through on all that. Our data scientists have done lots and lots of work again about modelling trucks and routes and optimization and where the opportunities are. One of the studies they did in the US was they 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 said look we we moved to electric trucks and they basically route mapped um, you know what they did over a month on electric trucks and worked out what what the impact would be. Uh, for that um, so you know we're doing lots and lots of work and I absolutely agree you know the devil's in the detail it all sits within the data of how you get there the challenges are is that it's okay having all this data but if UK retail decides that it doesn't want to order 26 pallets it only want to order 20 pallets on the truck then I've got six pallets worth of space now I can I can become more carbon efficient by telling them that they should put them extra six on but if they don't want them they don't want them and, and so the challenge is that we can have all this data and we can present it, but individual business challenges and individual business within the business, departments within the business have their own KPIs. And not all those KPIs are carbon benefiting KPIs. They're cost reduction programs and, and, and ways of looking at things. So to influence the whole supply chain, even from an operator point of view, where we can see areas of influence so we can control what we can control, until the person that we're dealing with doesn't want us to control it because it doesn't fit their metrics at this point in time you know you, you're always pushing against uh, you know a, a fairly heavy door really to try and change the dial on some of these things so so you know from, from what i would say for an operator you know we're very very advanced you know fast company magazine has, has, has listed us as uh, i think we were number 17 or something like that for our use in data science uh, we got a number one spot um for, for our applied science work as well so you know we're, we're doing everything we can because we believe the devil's in the detail but having that detail great you have to have a willing audience who all want to talk about the same thing as you otherwise you're collecting you're collecting data and it's not really making too much uh, of a difference jude thank you that's great julius that brings me to thinking about some of your work 
how important is marginal gain in this? You know, slightly moving on from the conversation of how you define it. I know this is an area where you've done a lot of work around how you can achieve a lot of impact through better housekeeping, better operation, better better management of your facility. So do you sort of see resonance in what Tim's saying in terms of, sort of some of the work you've done in the past and, and ongoing around those sorts of issues? Yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds fantastic uh, what uh, Leonard should, are doing in collecting data. Um, I mean, one of the questions is what you do with the data when you collect it, um, you know, and how you how you manage it and uh, act from it. Um, I mean, one of the things is you can make quite a few marginal gains and they all add up. Um, I mean, in work that we did uh, a few years ago on cold stores and things may have moved on a bit since then, that then, to be fair, but we were finding on average um, across a range of cold stores, you could save about 30% of the energy. Um, it was obviously a lot more in some stores and a lot less in others, and it depended on the on, on the area and the type of cold store. But still, uh, there were significant savings to be made. But I don't believe that just applying energy savings um, opportunities alone are going to get us to zero carbon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and some of these savings, they're not just technical, they're, they're, they're behavioural and operational as well. Uh, and that, that's also incredibly important. Um, so short term, you know, there's 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 quite a few incremental savings that can be made uh, to carbon. But, you know, long term, there's got to be a lot more uh, than that. You know, we've got to be looking at integration and how we act across the whole of the cold chain and, you know, possibly with other actors who uh, are close to our cold chains. Great. So that's that. So then we've talked a bit about um, we've talked about definitions. We've talked about 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 who might set the definitions. We haven't mentioned the G word yet and the role of government, whether it's international government or or UK government structures. Um, to what extent is it isn't it isn't it just their job to tell us what the what the targets are, what the what we need to achieve, and then we and that is the framework upon which we respond. I don't know, Toby. You've been probably as involved as anybody in conversation with governments in the plural um do you see that as the main route through to, to to coming up with a definition and then targets that we then meet match against or um, or not well i don't think it's the job of government to tell the industry um this is the specific target or whatever you have action you have to do um and i think the job of industry is to help work with government to hit the net zero target. I think the job of government, and picking up on what Tim said and we've heard elsewhere, is that we're not going to get to this integrated, energy efficient, technology and economic optimised net zero cold chain organically, given all the actors involved. As, as Tim said about the logistics company and the, and the retailer have to work together. So I think part of it is the job of government is to actually catalyze and enable all the actors to come together to work out what the solutions are as a system to meet our climate targets, to meet our energy security and also our food security. Because the other thing government has to do is in driving at its net zero target, we have to remember as we as we are learning day to day at the moment, you know, the cold chain is a backbone of our society. So it's essential for our food cold chain. It's essential for our, um, our food growers, our farmers, our fishers. It's essential for our health. So one of the jobs of government in, it isn't simply to set 
a net zero target. It's actually to understand what are our changing cooling needs? What cooling do we require in 2050 so that we meet the societal challenge and the environmental challenge simultaneously? So from my perspective, what government should be doing now, and they've done that with the project Judith and I working on, but they need to do it far more because at the moment, cooling and cold chain is, is still a bit of a blind spot versus heating. But actually, when, as I said, when you look at it, COVID-19 immunization is dependent on the cold chain, right? So what government should be doing is investing far more in actually defining what are the solutions to system level, um, energy efficient, needs driven cold chains to meet the challenge of 2050. What does that need to look like? That's the problem. We don't know actually how much cold chain we require in 2050 incredibly powerful point that you know we're not talking about sort of going down from where we are now we're going to need a lot more cooling both across the cold chain yeah. across cold chain and air conditioning between now and 2050 than we currently have in so it's and in a warming world yeah in you a warming know world, exactly. that's going to drive more energy demand for cooling simply because the world's getting warmer um any population. other thoughts on that from anyone on the panel i'm, I'm conscious i keep picking on you rather than letting you come in alan uh, yeah, I entirely agree with what Toby has, has just said. I mean, I, I don't know that the government is necessarily going to target the cold chain sector and, and say, here are targets and this is what you should be doing. Um, in a sense, if, if you look at the various components here, government will influence that. So government will influence the decarbonisation of electricity, you know, which is actually progressing very well in the UK. And, and that's obviously going to help the sector to decarbonise. Um, again, it will target road freight, for example, and, and that will also influence the sector. So, um, but it, it, the thing is, we have this 2050 target of net zero. That's a long way off. And you can understand why many companies think, well, that, that's just outside our planning horizon at the moment. This is for future generations of logistics managers to deal with. So what we need are meaningful interim targets. You know, we then have to define a trajectory that the government does that at an aggregate level with its carbon budgets, you know, it's four, six carbon budgets. The trouble is, it's not really going to hit any of those carbon budgets at the moment. And so the government as a whole is not really on the right path that's going to get us to 2050. Um, ju just backtracking to, to, to some of the points that were made earlier by, by Tim Moran. Um, obviously, your company, Lineage, has great analytical capabilities here. It's got access to all the data. You're consuming the energy. But for some companies in this sector, they won't have that data available. Um, and, and so many of them will therefore have to use some industry standard values. And, and it's worth drawing attention to the fact that every year, EFRA and Biz in the UK publishes this huge spreadsheet with emission factor data. Um, with average figures that when companies are getting started in measuring their emissions, this is a good way to start. To use some of these more generic industry values. And then once you build up the internal capability to measure your emissions yourself, then you can replace those with your own values. But I mean, as I was pointing out to Shane just yesterday, I mean, under road freight transport, there's a whole section there on the sort of average values, um, carbon emission values, for refrigerated transport. And that gives companies a way of getting started in, in all of this, it seems to me, but before delaying until sometime in the future 
when you've got a data collection capability. I mean, in the meantime, you can be using these average values. Thanks. That's great. That's a really important point. Tim, Tim Fox, you wanted to come in? Yeah, just uh, just a couple of points there, just picking up on a few things there. So um, in terms of the role of government, I think for me, there are three key roles of government here. Um, there's there's clearly the, the whole issue of setting the vision, uh, which is what the whole sort of 2050 target uh, is around. But um, clearly, you know, they have to set a, a big vision, a broad vision for the UK, and the cold chain has to fit within that as part of the, the whole system. Um, but beyond that, I think they, the, there are a couple of things they need to do that are very specific. They need to remove barriers. So they need to work with the industry and work with the professions that are involved in the industry to, uh, to help identify barriers within the policy landscape where the government can make interventions to remove those barriers to the industry achieving a, a, net, a net zero outcome. Um, I think also they, they have a big role to play in uh, driving in innovation um, in areas where we have gaps. There's still a lot of gaps uh, that need to be filled and they need in, in innovative R&D and, and innovative engineering to, to fill them. And I think there's a definite role for them there through their um, support programs to drive that innovation. Um, but they need to work with the industry to, to, to find those, those, those sweet points for innovation. Um, and then, then thirdly, I think there's a big role for them in ensuring that we have a, a fully trained and skilled workforce, um, both, uh, you know, in terms of, again, I'm coming at this from an engineering perspective, but both in terms of engineers and technicians that think differently about the system that they're working within and think more broadly about the system, where, where their particular piece fits within the system. And they think they think more holistically and more innovative around how they design, how they maintain, and how they service these systems. So I think there's three areas there where you know government really does have a does have a role to play um, in, in terms of its policy and it, and its regulatory environment. That's great, Toby. Anyone come in? Can I ask you to make your point, but also to to ask, to ask you a question about where you think the UK currently ranks and whether the UK could rank in terms of its approach to this issue within cold chain context compared to other places and other markets in the world? Um, okay, so I think the first point is that we, we've got a fundamental problem and, and picking up on what Tim said is that when we talk about energy, inherently the government means electricity. And when it talks about energy storage, it means batteries. But actually, once you start thinking thermally and you look at cooling as a thermal challenge, not an electrical challenge, you know, you can do many other things which need to be uh, really understood and uh, invested in. So thermal energy storage is potentially a far better solution for uh, warehouses or on vehicles than necessarily just using batteries and electricity. But it's not given the same, uh, the, the, the same priority and the same focus. Um, and that sort of leads on to then your second point. The, the, the problem is, is that in the UK, I think we're first and foremost focused on electricity. And now, obviously, we're focused on heating uh, because the big part of our uh, CO2 is from heating. Um, so we're not a country which requires massive volumes of cooling because that's inherently driven out of air conditioning. Um, so it is. We, you know, we talk about, we, we see stuff talking about heating and cooling, but cooling is the poor relation 
to heating in the UK. You go to India, you go to the GCC, you go to Africa, it's all around the cooling agenda because over there, it's actually most of their energy, thermal energy consumption is for cooling loads driven by the air conditioning. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see that change, but I think that when you look at the global actions around cooling and cold chain, um, it is being uh, driven out of different markets at the moment because they are the markets where cooling is much more prevalent. So, as I said, India, uh, cooling action plans, China, um, so on and so forth. That said, it's all around the, the, the reason why the cold chain is so important because it is global and, um, you know, our food chain does actually start with the small farmers in Africa or India as much as the farmers in the UK, if not more so for any sec many sectors. Um, so we are seeing now the UK government actively support things like the Africa Centre of Excellence for Sustainable Cooling and Cold Chain, um, which I'm working on with Judith and others in Rwanda, and similar projects. Uh, so I think we are, um, the UK has been uh, to date focused on electricity and heating, but I do think that we're now starting to see that the cooling and specifically the cold chain is rising up the agenda. And, you know, given its global opportunity, uh, we're seeing, what is it, 13 to 18 cooling devices deployed per second globally. You know, this is a big market for us. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for that, Toby. I'm conscious of the time. I'm just going to quickly summarise some of the comments that have come in, because I think it's thank you to everyone that's, that has been making comments through the um, through the session. The sort of two or three comments have come in really about some of the practical things you can do to drive. Um, to drive to drive your performance now particularly around strong maintenance and the issues around marginal gain and cleaning and and, and maintenance of existing facilities i've got a question about um about the idea of accreditation for businesses that are doing well in this sector how do we reward you know if we measure and we achieve how do we demonstrate that in a in a way that creates a commercial um opportunity and return for business i think that's an area that we absolutely need to explore as the federation um, because I think there are potentially opportunities in that area. Um, and then I've got a question here on um, about energy use. Um, so basically, basically issues particularly about the issue of, 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 I think we talked about this a little bit in the panel, but the idea of the waste energy that, that, that generates in the coal chain, how we properly redistribute that and how that might be a contributor to achieving carbon targets through effectively offsetting but offsetting in a very practical way not planting trees somewhere else in the world in order to compensate for your for your for your, for your performance so thank you to everyone for all those what we'll do is we'll follow up on these specific points that have come in during this panel and in in the follow-up um can i ask a kind of final question for the panel before i ask tom southall to to summarize overall um, um the the question for me really is is um how optimistic are you about the, the the path to net zero for the cold chain um through to 2050 understanding the point about milestones along the way maybe tim moran can i ask you to start yeah you can you can if you like um optimistic <laughs> um, yeah um until i you know i would i would defer optimism until i saw a realistic roadmap of how an operator should get there and 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 what am i am i expected to do and i'll take one example if if I'm to run electric trucks instead of diesel, 
then how does that happen? And, and that's you know that that's just one example. You know, I haven't got enough power into the majority of my depots to charge electric trucks trucks up. I'll you know I'll over my capacity, and 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 the UK hasn't got enough power capacity to deal with electric trucks in total. So so I sit in a in a place that goes yeah you know we will invest UK logistics cold chain logistics is is very good at investing into things and and being sustainable in its own right even with a you know a dictatorial way of 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 governing us you know we'll we'll sort of get there because we do whether that'll affect food prices perhaps who knows you know but but things will you know we can change we can adapt everybody's got to eat we can we'll still move the products however we're going to do that but practically, how does it work? Uh, and and you know, so 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 my my um, optimism will be, you know, see a roadmap, tell me how it's going to happen, and then I'll be exceptionally optimistic that we can we can meet that challenge. But until I see that, I have no idea how to meet the challenge. So I have I'm I'm, I'm pessimistic about the 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 the, the ability <laughs> the future of it. <laughs> Thank you for that, Judith. Do you want to go next? Optimistic yeah. or pessimistic? Okay. Well. Always like to be optimistic, but um, you know I tend to concur with um, quite a few things that uh, Tim said. Um, for me, change is not happening fast enough. We've got to make change uh, quickly, otherwise we're we're stacking up huge issues. Um, you know, ten, twenty years ahead, and we've got to then move even faster. Then, so we've got to be moving now. We're not moving fast enough. Um, it's not just technology that's really important, but uh, we've got to look at operational issues. We've got to look at integration, um, and nobody's really doing this practically at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, we 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 need to be moving these issues forward faster. That's uh, um, that's my reservation really at the moment. Understood. Understood. I think everyone kind of has a similar feeling about it. But uh, Tim, Tim Fox, do you net your turn? Optimistic, pessimistic? Yeah. yeah so uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm broadly optimistic. I I think um, I think that given um, the 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 groundwork that um, organisations like the Cold Chain Federation, yourself, Chain, and and others are are doing now, um, and the sort of broader picture of what's going on across across um, across the energy system. I'm 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 broadly optimistic, and I think given the sort of comments I've heard from Tim and others that are on the ground in the in the industry, actually trying to do the best they possibly can today with the tools and the knowledge that that ha they have available to them, um, I'm I'm overall optimistic. Brilliant. And Alan, um, your thoughts? And. Um, Optimistic, pessimistic, too binary. Uh, I suppose I tend to fit more to, the, to the, uh, the pessimistic side for a number of reasons. I think one is the projected growth in the demand for um, freight movement, particularly um, temperature control freight movement, um, which is going to make it harder. Um, if, if you look at how um, governments are thinking of decarbonizing logistics, attaching a lot of importance to modal shift onto rail. I mean, if you look at the EU Green Deal statement came out in December, almost entirely thinking of decarbonisation by getting more freight onto rail. That doesn't help whole chain very much. The railways are not very good at moving temperature control product. Um, and, and then we get into um, different powertrain technologies for trucks. And getting back to what Tim Fox said earlier, 
you know, time is so limited, we cannot be disagreeing on the fundamentals here, but that's precisely what we're doing in the road freight sector. You know, is it going to be hydrogen, batteries, catenaries? Each have got a lobby pressing for this, and it's hard to know what the real... And, and also, even when we do that, it, it's going to take us, I don't know, 15 years to transform the truck fleet away from diesel into these alternative technologies. Um, so, so everything I said so far is a bit negative. Two positives. We've not said anything at all about the monetization of carbon emissions. I mean, if you look at the World Bank's dashboard um, for carbon pricing, um, the schemes either in operation or being developed, if they were all implemented, it would cover about a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions, you know, where monetary value would be attached to CO2, putting it onto company balance sheets, that would be a game changer. And the second thing is digitalization which I think offers huge potential for improving load factors and improving the routing of, of trucks, where there's going to be a significant carbon saving. And that's not just applying to the cold chain sector. I mean, that's all road freight operations. So a, a balance of positives and negatives. Um, that's, that's, that's great. Yeah, I wouldn't expect a, a binary answer from an academic in, in any situation, yeah. Alan. So, uh, so thank yeah. you for that. And Toby, so over to you for your, your, your analysis of where you will sit on the optimism pessimism scale um, through 2050. Um, well, I think we've got to, first of all, remember, we've got a number of jobs we've got to do. We've got to deliver net zero, but we actually also need to feed 10 billion people and uh, provide them with the pharmacy and the, the vaccines they require. And also recognise that a lot of our food chain starts with, with, with small farmers in Africa and India. So looking at a global level, we must deliver net zero and our social goals at the same time. It's not either or. So that's the first binary position. You've got to do both and now. Um, I think that I'm like Alan sort of sitting there, there are some positive negatives, but the one thing I think we should take away is I think there is a big transition now from talking about it from little fixes to actually people really recognizing governments recognizing that we have to get a pathway to zero i don't think as we've heard today we've got the pathway to zero but i do think that there is now a sense of urgency with governments that they need to make this happen um so i'm sort of probably far more optimistic today than I was even 12 months ago, because I do think that one of the things which is going to come out of the past 12 months and COVID is this transition to renewables, to pathway to zero, and um, therefore one has to hope that we will move fast enough. That's brilliant, thank you. Tom Southall, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're there. Can you come in and join us? Um, and, and just, Basically, carrying on the optimism theme, can you give everyone a kind of sense of momentum from here? So obviously it's been a really, really helpful and insightful conversation we've had in the last hour or so. Um, how are we going to capture all of that and then what, how does that take us forward in our net zero projects? Yeah, thanks Shane. And um, I think that was a fascinating discussion. I'm not sure I've got the, the easiest task of trying to summarise and uh, <laughs> move forward with that. So you might forgive me for uh, looking down at my notes. But um, yeah, I think it's quite clear it's quite a it, it's such a difficult area, um, but I think some clear themes have kind of come out in terms of perhaps how we move forward with this. Um, I think when we look at kind of what we try and, uh, you know, that, that core question of kind of defining the cold chain, I think I really like Judith's kind of expression of, um, you know, we can only look at what we can control, um, but clearly that's only, only works to a certain extent. And as um, Tim Ram points out, we need to involve 
you know our members customers in that and, and involve more people in that conversation um, when we look at kind of how we we move products around the uk but we also have that duty to look beyond at, um, at kind of global measures as well and use our expertise to help others share um kind of expertise in that way and use that influence um so it almost seems to me like a bit of a sort of staggered approach to we look kind of in-house first um, but we're always looking to um influence others and, and look to where we can um kind of work with those two and, and learn things um, i think alan shared some really useful ways that we can measure and i think that was one of the key things we were trying to look at today is how we how we measure emissions in the cold chain and then alan I think mentioned three really great ways that we can look into further at, at looking how we kind of baseline or at least how we try and estimate the, the kind of carbon footprint of the cold chain um so that's certainly something we, we were looking further and hopefully will help us with um and, and that will help us perhaps to look towards that kind of where we are now um and then perhaps the difficulty i think that's coming through is that 2050 that where we actually sit at that point it's clear that you know we need more cold and that's growing um, and I think that's the big difficulty in, in looking at those incremental um, ways that we get there is that that endpoint. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think that's something we can look into or perhaps we look shorter term to those in incremental gains first. Um, and we have from Tim around all the great things that are already going on and we need to make sure that we kind of factor those in um, to, to that thinking as well and, and account for those. And I think the key thing for, for kind of measurement is looking from a sector perspective and an individual business clearly we can there's lots we can do to support an individual business to look at their individual emissions through some of the ways alan described um perhaps looking at you know the accreditation system that that you mentioned i think we had at the comment chain so it was up two tier as well perhaps looking at it from our a sector perspective um both within the uk and globally but also at an individual business level as well um and then finally i think the the work with government this, I think, came through quite strongly how critical that is to understand the overall government objectives and direction um, and how we fit into that, the support we, we might need from that, both perhaps financially, but also um, kind of for infrastructure skills and, and just feeding into that wider conversation. So I think there's some key things that came through around that. Um, and our role, I guess, now is to, to go away and um, look at how we move that forward. Um, what we're hoping to do is to kind of issue a, a briefing following this this discussion um we'll need a bit of time to kind of expand on some of the points raised and, and kind of bring those together to start looking at i think tim moran laid down the challenge of, of that roadmap um quite whether we'll be able to, to do that yet but i think we can start looking at some of those questions and bringing out a bit more detail on how we move forward um and then you know finally going on to looking in, into more detail that, the specifics to do with buildings, vehicles, and, and the supply chain. So the next stage will be very much to uh, to try and put the discussions today into into writing, if you like, pose ourselves some questions, further questions, um, and perhaps some pledges back to our members on on how we'll we'll move forward. Um, so we can ex you can hopefully expect to see that um, in the coming weeks and months. Um, and we'll be a bit I'll be a bit clearer with the timescale on that. I think as we move forward, there's clearly a lot to go through and a lot to. Um, to kind of work with others on as well to to gain that expertise and make sure we're not we're not just kind of going out on our own here that we're actually you know feeding into the wider community and lots of other organizations um some which were mentioned that are, are looking at decarbonizing the cold chain as well um so yeah i think based on that we would really hopefully that today's session has been really useful to to everyone listening in certainly as to, to me and hopefully the panel as well um but we would love to work with with all organizations members anyone who has an interest in this to help us in this area to help us um, you know, deliver the best for our members and, and hopefully for 
you know the society as well so please do get in touch um with any further questions you've got um we'll circulate i think the, the kind of net zero setting the scene report again and um, to everyone who's listened in so that they can look back on that and just a, a mention as well for our our cold chain live event back in october we we had a whole month of kind of content relating to this subject lots of great presentations um interviews blogs all sorts of things and that information is all still on our website so definitely a, a sort of plug for for that so if you've kind of piqued your interest a bit on this topic to, to look back on some of the stuff we've covered already but hopefully that's it that's okay shane Brilliant. thank <laughs> you tom that's great i think you did a very good job there actually of summarizing the the, the, the key points so um hopefully everyone really sort of recognized the, the themes in there um just finally go off in terms of events coming up have you got a so just a kind of flag for those before we look yeah i have to so sorry as well as um as moving forward with hopefully briefings and 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 some uh, guidance on this topic we're also going to continue kind of the events we've already been running on this topic um so in march we're going to look specifically at um at decarbonizing transport and, and transport policy so that's actually not just decarbonization but also kind of the air quality agenda which is very high on the government radar and also operator radar at the moment so we've got two days dedicated to, to policy around temperature control distribution and also innovations and some of those lots of things coming through at the moment that will hopefully help us um, reduce kind of all sorts of all types of emissions from from transport so that's on the 16th to 17th of March and then in May um, kind of ahead of the COP26 conference at the end of the year we'll be focusing again on, on sort of climate change and and again looking hopefully at updating you with, with our work in this area and, and having more again speakers coming in and, and talking about kind of policy and, and the raft of um, sort of government policy around climate change we're expecting in the next few months. Thank, thank you Tom that's fantastic I'm, I've gone over by a minute which is very bad of the chair so Thank you all very much. Can I say thank you very much to you, Alan, to you, Judith, Tim Moran, Tim Fox and Toby Peters for your sharing your insights with us today. You know, Coltrane Federation, when we launched Coltrane Federation a year and a half ago, we made it very clear our mission was to be the forum for discussing these issues for the benefit of operators in the UK cold chain. This has been a great example of how we can do that. Um, obviously, we've only just skimmed the surface of some of these topics today, but the whole point is to basically take that and build on it from here. So thank you all very much for your time. Thank you to everyone who's taken part, you know, great attendance throughout the session. So thank you all. And please get in touch with us if you've got insights and things you can share, as Tom said. So thank you all very much and enjoy the rest of your day and the week. And that's the end of our programme. The Cold Chain podcast is a product of the UK Cold Chain Federation. It was presented by Chief Executive Shane Brennan. If you like the podcast and like to subscribe, seek us out on the Cold Chain Federation website on the Audio Boom podcast platform or any other major podcast provider. Please subscribe and if you really like our program, please review and share it with your friends.